Hello and welcome. It's David and Brent again this week. We're recording on July the 16th. Thanks for joining us this week. Uh, we have a lot of great new content on the AI premium, so make sure to check that out. But we're going to talk about a chart that I have in an article re-looking at usage expectations for the crop we have growing right now, that 2020-2021 marketing year. And Brent, you've really you really challenged my thinking on this. So everyone will remember, we had that article back in May about trend usage being you know, usage expectations being pretty much what trend would suggest. And then you came back and said, well, we got to get a lot of growth to get there. So two charts that we're going to share here in the video format. And if you're following along in audio or written text, you can use your imagination, but it's really interesting. So the first one we're looking at is corn. And so for context, the USDA is expecting corn usage to be up about 7% for the crop growing right now versus the crop we just marketed you know, how do we get there? Well, they're expecting everything to get improved, ethanol to be improved, exports to be improved, feed and residual to be improved. Of course, that's the abyss of, of all the, the, the bean counting is feed and residual. But the one thing this chart captured is that the peak usage, I guess, for corn really occurred two years ago, back in the 17-18 marketing year. And ethanol and exports, they've been on a downward trend, not just this marketing year, but the one before. And so I think that's, that caused me to pause and think a little bit is export problems have been lingering for a while. Just to kind of tee that up a little bit, you've got 17, 18 year, we had consumption or usage of 14.8 billion bushels from 17, 18 to the 18, 19 crop. We shrunk ethanol by 227. Remember the small refinery exemptions and all of that other kind of stuff that we're doing that. And then we saw exports decline 372 million bushels. And that put us at about 14.2. Then going into 1920, we saw another huge drop in ethanol. Another, just think about that. Ethanol declined that's uh, 750 million bushels, right, David, from peak to, to this? Is that right? Yeah, right at that, I guess it's 725. Yeah, it's, it's a big contraction there. So a lot of our problems in the, in the usage side are related to that ethanol, but we also shrunk exports, 600 million bushels, and roughly 650, I guess. So the optimism, I guess, is partly that you know, for next year, we're expecting to get some of the ethanol back, but that 350, remember, that's not even as much as we lost going from 17 crop year to 18. Some better exports, but that's where a lot of our problems are at, folks, on the usage side. And I think this chart is a really interesting way of looking at it, David. It's, <laughs> I framed this article up by saying, you know, you can look at the top line numbers, which is what we did in that last post. But what gets hard is there's a lot of moving numbers. And all of a sudden, it just sort of blows up your thinking. And so this chart has a lot of bars. So you have to sort of step back and think about it for a while. We even included the table. We included the WASD numbers. So for the premium subscribers, you can really dive into that. But to the point, exports are still expected to be about 12% off of those, those highs two years ago. Ethanol off 7% from the highs. And that feed and residual, that's uh, where a lot of this ground's being made up. And we'll let you decide if the USDA is being optimistic or overly optimistic. Of course, maybe that is not uh, as, as big of a point now that we know that China's apparently going to buy some corn uh, out of this week's news. Did the same thing for soybeans. Big hit on the export side. 
Yeah, this, this, this is the trade war. This yeah. is the trade war, right? Yes, That's, it is. That yeah. is the trade war. 382 million bushel decline. That is a big number. Lost another, what, 102 million from 102 the next million. year? Yeah. Yeah. So only positive is the crushing. Uh, and USDA this year is expecting us to get, boy, most of those exports back, right, David? Yeah, so we lost 484 and we're expected to get 400 back. So that would be, that would be good news, uh, undoubtedly good news, right? But again, this gets back to where I'm torn a little bit on these, these price and these trade numbers is that it's a tall order to get there, but at the same time, the USDA maybe has some insights that we don't, we don't have. So soybean usage, if this came to fruition, would actually be 1% higher than the, the big number that we saw two years ago. I'm going to caveat all this by saying is that there's some quasi-inflationary things that happen in the back of the scenes, right? So we expect usage to go up over time. And so getting to 4.2 or 4.3 billion bushels used in 1718 was a taller order than it is here in 2020, 2021. Right. So kind of the rising tide lifts all ships. But there's, again, if, if we're really focused on usage... We got to watch that soybean number for soybeans. Uh, We got to watch the export and the ethanol numbers for corn. And the challenges aren't limited to the last six months of COVID. The challenges are much bigger and much more difficult than just the last six months. And so that's the big takeaway I think is worth keeping in mind. Yeah, especially on the ethanol number, that surprised me a little bit that uh, it fell that much before the COVID problems. The trade, the soybean number on the exports, we knew those were going to be ugly. I think there's some signs now that maybe these exports might be pretty strong this year, which is really, really good news. So that's where your attention needs to be focused on the export side, on the soybeans and on the ethanol usage and the exports on the corn. Good article though, David. <laughs> these charts are kind of, uh, I think they're helpful. They really scale the thing up. They can be tricky at first to look at, but uh, take a look. If you're listening to this, log on, take a look at that article. You know, the other article I want to put your attention to is an article that is titled, it's a memo, COVID-19 impact on the U.S. food systems. Those are some colleagues of Brent and I's from across the country who shared some of their insights about the food disruption system. There's a great summary and transcript there. I learned a lot about consumer buying behavior, even things about, you know, potato farmers in Idaho had different challenges than potato farmers in Colorado, things I hadn't quite thought about. So if you take some time this weekend to read that, be a, a good a good read for you. So Brent, that's all I had for this week's video. You had uh, another story or so to share with us? Oh, I was just going to say, uh, I'm finishing a book called Midnight in Chernobyl. I might have mentioned it maybe a couple of weeks ago. It takes me a long time to read these things, but just a fascinating story of the nuclear power plant explosion at Chernobyl and how it was botched and all the bad decision making that went along with it that you would expect out of a kind of a communist regime where you know people were had no incentive to tell the truth and uh basically encouraged to lie in fact telling you know the people in moscow oh, the power plant will be online in a couple days <laughs> you know yeah when the guy got there he's like we can look into the core of the nuclear reactor this is not good it's not coming online anytime soon but the thing that really struck me was 
how their response to it, basically hiding it from the rest of the world, create a lot of suspicion. And, uh, you know, the Russians saying, well, there's nothing wrong. We had a minor accident. Well, then the Western press starts to pick up on it and says, well, no, we're getting reports of 20,000 people dead. And so then the rest of the press in the Western world starts running these horrific stories about how bad it is and just terrible, terrible accident in Russia and thousands upon thousands of people dead. And turns out there were something, I mean, less than a hundred casualties from the explosion. So it just reminded me a little bit of, of the current situation. You know, there's just so much uncertainty and to fill that void when you assume someone's lying, like, China. I think a lot of people assume China was lying about how bad their outbreak was. It, it just feeds itself in this misinformation. And then the other thing that was really interesting is, you know, the people, uh, the local people, the government kept telling them nothing's wrong. They can see their friends are getting really sick. Uh, and so they start to decide the, the local lore is that uh, there's something called medicinal vodka, which is basically just vodka, right? And they're like, well, if you drink a lot of vodka, you'll be safe. And so I thought that was kind of interesting in light of history has weird ways of of rhyming. And uh, we're just seeing a lot of that kind of same stuff with with the current outbreak. So anyway, interesting book. Yeah, it's always interesting to step back and think about two completely different events, but same themes, right? distrust and lack of information, confusion, uh, covering. The idea of a grand scheme is probably hard to believe, but a lot of micro level, you know, not wanting to confront the truth at the micro level also yeah. blows up to this idea of a national conspiracy. All very interesting. So lots of similar themes of people making goofy decisions some people seeing reality but not wanting to be listening you know these fights between the theoretical physicists and the practical nuclear operators and i mean it's just really really interesting and (laughs) so relevant so i I think brent you were telling me then we'll wrap this up that there's a fight between the experts as to whether or not the core could melt through the the nuclear core would melt through the earth right right and like really smart people were disagreeing on this and the real question is like how do you navigate that both sides were dismissing the other experts as like not actually confronting the reality of the situation so right yeah they were they were all of us there was a movie evidently made called the china syndrome where a nuclear power plant in new york state i think blows up and the core melts all the way through to china or something something and all of a sudden you know they were they were concerned they could not figure out how to put the fire out in the reactor and they were concerned it was going to melt through all this concrete and just go right into the earth and so there's i mean it was just it's really interesting uh maybe that's where i got the idea as a child to dig a hole to china <laughs> this story <laughs> so that movie started all of this so a couple other things to share you can now listen to this in the audio format on a podcast. We'll share links on the website. So if you want to listen to this on your podcast, we've caught up with the rest of the world and we're now like everyone else with a microphone and a connection to the internet. We officially have podcasts. So that's an exciting new venture for us. We're also going to uh, send us your questions. Email Brent or I, send your questions to the inquiries to the bottom little thing. We're going to answer those in a mailbag session. So we are all 
excited about this element of our weekly video conversation with you. So the best ideas come from you. So be sure to send them. Thanks. All right. Thanks for joining us. We'll catch you next week.